Welcome to Beyond the Body, a podcast for women who aren't afraid to dive deep into who they are, embrace discomfort, and level up their mind, body, and life. I'm your host, Christina Slater. If you've ever struggled with body image, self-worth, or knowing how to take your fitness to the next level, you have come to the right place. We go deeper than just the latest fad diet or trending workout to provide you with the mindset tools to transform your body, upgrade your mind, and reclaim your life. Let's get into it. Hello, you guys. Welcome back to Beyond the Body. I am your host, Christina Slater. And in today's episode, we're going to be doing part two on binge eating. So if you haven't listened to part one, make sure you go back to the last episode and listen to that one first because it really sets the stage, builds the foundation for this one. I chat a little bit about my entire history with binge eating and body image. And we're really just going to build on that today. So if you are a client at Cut and Conquer or you have enrolled in my binge eating decoded course, you will know that my approach to binge eating is a little bit different than a lot of approaches you will see and hear about in the industry. One of the differentiating factors is the fact that I absolutely know that you can lose weight and or improve your body composition while breaking the binging, binge eating habit. A lot of people tell you, you can't do them at the same time. Yes, you absolutely can. You just have to do it the right way with the right approach and the right strategy. The next thing is I am definitely against intuitive eating for binge eaters. I'm not against intuitive eating. I don't think it's the best way to lose weight. And I definitely don't think it is the best thing for binge eaters working on actively overcoming their urges. Should it be and can it be a long-term goal for someone once they've established a healthy lifestyle, a healthy relationship with food? Absolutely. Yes, 100% intuitive eating is the long-term goal for a lot of my clients and a lot of people in the world. And I think that's fantastic. But trying to get someone to intuitively eat which basically just means like eating based on your hunger cues, when they struggle with binge eating is fucking crazy. It's fucking ridiculous. If I tried to do intuitive eating when I was at the worst with my binging, I would eat everything in the house at night and I wouldn't eat it all during the day. That's what I would do because that was the conditioned habit that I had built. So expecting a binge eater to just intuitively eat or just follow macros, it's insane. It's literally insane. So maybe you guys are asking why. If you're more intrigued and interested about the weight loss aspect, I do have an episode. It's called Why I Don't Believe Intuitive Eating for Weight Loss that really dives into the kind of more science part of it. But today, for the purpose of the binge eating and the emotional eating aspect, and kind of when it comes to like hunger cues. So when you're born, you are born with natural hunger cues. And when you're a baby, a child, your brain gives your body signals or your, and vice versa that you're hungry, you cry, you get food because you know that you are hungry. But as you grow up, you get influenced by your environment, by your culture, by your family, by different belief systems in the world, by social media, and your hunger cues get skewed, right? And you neglect to respond to them. We end up eating because we are stressed out. Food becomes our comfort. We eat when we've had a long day. We eat when we're feeling emotional. We eat when we're feeling sad. Sometimes we even eat when we're feeling happy. We eat as a reward. Food doesn't just... We don't look at it just as fuel to sustain ourselves. We look at it as these different things depending who we are, what environment we grew up on, and what our life looks like. 
Sometimes we simply eat because it tastes good, even though we are very, very full. Sometimes we eat because there's something lacking in our life. We're not aware of it. We don't want to deal with it. We're suppressing it, or maybe we're just unsure. And so we turn to something that we feel sure in, we feel secure in. Again, as mentioned in part one of this episode, your brain is not designed to keep you happy. Your brain is not designed to keep you safe. So if you're lacking some type of safety in your life, again, food can fill that void for us sometimes. A lot of the time, the expectations that are placed on us as women and even as men are crazy when it comes to body image. We have such brutal relationships with our body and we neglect to eat because we want to lose weight and because there's this unfortunate misconception out there that eating less is the key to losing weight, which you guys, it's not. But we end up neglecting and ignoring hunger cues because our bodies. We want them to look a certain way. And then our hunger hormones, our natural hunger cues, everything gets dimmed. It gets skewed. And when we try to tap into those, it's confusing. It's challenging. And they're not working the way that they should. So even when you try to break those habits, like it feels impossible. We also talk about this a lot at Hunt & Conquer. If you were in our recent free challenge, We talked about why macro calculators don't work. And I see it all the time. People being like, oh, macros didn't work for me. Macros didn't work for me. And obviously macros didn't work for you when you got them from a calculator. And people don't know, but it's impossible for macros to not work for you because everything is macros. Food is macros. So saying it doesn't work for you is basically saying like food doesn't work for me. But it's because no one explained the concept to you. You just Googled macro calculator, put in your stats and got some numbers. Because especially when you're battling some type of eating disorder, even if it's not binge eating, but you just have a habit of overeating, meal timing really matters, you guys. Meal timing is going to affect your hormones. It's going to affect your blood glucose. It's going to affect so many things that can trigger or reduce triggers around food and cravings. And there is an entire physiological aspect to nutrition of course. But there's also a huge psychological component to nutrition and binge eating and overeating. And that's why when we calculate macros, whether we're giving someone macros at Cut and Conquer or we are creating a nutrition plan for someone, we don't put it in a calculator, right? We have our clients fill in an actual form that gives us the info we need. And yes, it's going to... Your age matters. Yeah. Your activity level. Yeah. It matters. Your goals really, really matter. But what matters a ton is your preferences and your dieting history. Your dieting history, you guys. Okay. Because even like I I talked about in the part one episode, like I was battling a illness for a long time. And the macros that I was doing prior to that illness, once I recovered, did not work for me. I'm the same person. I had relatively same body, like lean muscle mass. I didn't really gain or lose too much weight over that time span. I did lose a little bit of weight, mainly probably just muscle glycogen because I was literally sick in bed for three weeks. But again, I'm basically the same person. But if I would have put that into a calculator, it would not have worked because your metabolism is going to change and be different based on your dieting history. Are you someone who yo-yo diets, who undereats, overeats constantly? If yes, that's going to have an effect on your metabolism and thus the amount of calories you need to be consuming on a daily basis. Are you someone who's basically been in your maintenance calories pretty consistently for many months? Again, that's going to be great. And if you're someone like that, using a calculator might actually work for you. But if you're someone who has been under eating and or overeating or even worse, a combination of the two, like the binge and restrict cycle, a macro calculator is 
I would say 90% chance it's not going to work for you, especially if you're just hitting those macros on a daily basis. If you actually have them broken down by a coach properly around your training sessions, like there's a, a better chance it'll work for you. But if you're just like winging it and hitting 2000 calories with X amount of protein, good luck. A lot of people won't agree with me. Don't care. Their clients probably don't get as good of results as mine and they don't have as good as results as I do. So who are you going to listen to? So we touched on hunger cues a little bit, you guys. But I also want to talk about the mentality behind it. Because if you really want to make traction with your eating disorder and really overcome these urges, you have to be willing to make it a priority. Okay? You have to be willing to create the space in your mind. Because if you are overwhelmed with everything, you're not going to have the space to be able to make the choices that you need to make. Because like we talked about, there's going to be discomfort in this journey and it is not going to be linear. And if you are constantly overwhelmed, constantly neglecting your own needs, constantly skipping the gym, skipping your workouts, skipping your meals, skipping your recovery, not sleeping enough, you're going to keep eating at night. You're going to keep binging. You're going to keep giving into it. So you have to have the space to be willing to work through some tough shit, like work through some subconscious beliefs because there's a lot of subconscious programming that comes into this. But when I do this work with my clients, like if they don't have the space to do this in their mind and in their life, it's literally like talking to a wall, okay? So for example, like if you, depending on how you grew up, maybe you would have a parent who would like constantly comment on your weight. Right. Or maybe when you were older, you were dating someone who was very toxic and would degrade your body or make comments, even if they weren't directly like little snippy remarks about how much you ate or your body. And these things, they stay with you. It's on well, when was it? I did a workshop with some of my clients and was asking them, like, when was the first time you felt insecure in your body? And these memories went back to like when they were three years old, when they were in kindergarten. So it's like these thoughts. And this mindset can be with you for years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years. And then you expect to just change it in a couple of days or a couple of weeks. It's not how it works, right? So if you had someone in your life telling you and making comments like, oh, are you going to eat another plate of food? Oh, you're going to have cake? No wonder. Are you watching your waistline? These little comments that might have not even been intended to hurt you, maybe they did, right? So now, despite having a coach or someone like telling you, of course you need to eat to fuel. Of course, eating less and less and less is not healthy and it's not going to get you to your goals. You're not going to get the body composition you want um, because you're going to end up binging and you're going to end up in that cycle again. And despite you wanting to listen to the coach, your brain, again, your brain likes what is familiar, not what's going to actually make you happy. And if you associate eating with a feeling of shame, your brain is going to remember that. It's going to remember that pattern. And now it's going to be like, hey, you're eating too much. You're eating too much. It's going to feel that shame and it's going to trigger that feeling of being unsafe because it's not what you're used to. You may know logically that you need to eat to fuel your body. You need to eat to fuel your training. And if you want to see long-term results, you need to eat some healthy foods. But your amygdala, the like emotional part of your brain is going to go, hell no. There's shame attached to eating food. There's shame attached to stuffing my face with this and I don't want any part of it. And so you get stuck in that cycle. And that's why you need that space. You need to be like, okay, with working through the discomfort because there's going to be discomfort. There's probably going to be slip ups. But if you don't have the space to be able to get yourself moving forward again, 
after that, you're going to continue in those cycles because it's just, it's uncomfortable. And one of the big things we see with our clients is we, we have quite a few perfectionists in the programs at Cut and Conquer. And I love perfectionists because I used to be one. And there's so many great things about being a perfectionist. But the thing is, for many perfectionists that I have worked with, they don't actually care about being perfect. It's that they're afraid to fail. And they see failure and success as very black and white. There's no in-between and there's no spectrum. It's like, I either killed it or I fucking suck. And so instead of acknowledging the fact of, oh, like this didn't work. It's like you'll spend hours and hours and hours and hours of working on something that doesn't even need to be worked on just because you are afraid of that failure. You're afraid of the humiliation that might come along with it. And that's why perfectionists stay stuck all of the time. Not all the time, but like often. And that's a really good example, again, of how much your past and your subconscious can affect your mentality going forward. Because if you associate failure with humiliation, which is not a fun feeling, it's not an uplifting feeling, embarrassment, humiliated, you're going to be terrified to let go of certain habits. And it's so interesting because, again, if you're a client, you've heard me talk about this, you guys, but like, One of the biggest realizations for me over the last six months has really been that, and I'll explain this a bit better, but a large majority of the world doesn't think the way that I do. And I would also guess that a large majority of the world probably doesn't think the way that you do. And I know it might sound crazy to some of you, but that was a big realization for me because I thought that everyone just saw things the way that I did. And I would get very frustrated when someone like, wouldn't, I don't want to say wouldn't understand, but didn't get what I was saying to them or didn't implement what I was saying to them. Or there was just like that disconnect. And I was like, how do you not, how does this not hit for you? How does this not land? And it's everyone looks at everything through their own lens. And when you understand that, everything changes. Everything changes. And everyone has different belief systems. And and because of that, we all have different ways of looking at the same thing based on our own basically deep-seated beliefs. So I'll give you like a silly example. Like one time I was at the gym with my spouse and I, you know how at the gym you have a little towel and you spray your machine, you wipe it down or whatever. So I was carrying around my little towel and I went to go fill up my cup at the water fountain because I was done my workout and I had my little cloth with me. And I was kind of just nonchalantly walking over, started filling up my water and I just tossed my towel into the little recycle bin. And I missed. (laughs) So I missed the recycle bin. And then I was like, oh, I'll get that in a second. I was filling up my water. So I wasn't going to leave it there and go pick up the towel. And then I was just looked back at my water. And then this guy came up behind me and picked up my towel and tossed it in the recycle bin. And in my head, I was like, what the fuck? Like, did you really think I was not going to pick up my towel and put it in the recycle bin? Why am I saying recycle bin? Laundry bin. Not a recycling bin, you guys. A laundry bin. (laughs) And then my spouse was actually there like watching this. And then after I was like, did you see that guy? I can't believe he thought I wasn't going to put that away. And now I like felt bad because I was like, obviously I was going to put it away. But like he thought I wasn't like what an asshole. And then my spouse was like, honestly, I would have been really happy. I'm like, I think he was just trying to help you out. He's yeah, I think he was just being a nice person and put it in there for you. And I was like, oh, I didn't see it like that. And it's just that's a silly example. But everyone takes in the world through their own perception. And that's why you cannot take people's words and judgments 
and things literally, like you can't take them literally because it's all about them. It's not about you. Whether that guy was trying to be an asshole or trying to be a good person or not, it really doesn't matter. It's all in how you see it. And again, so many people don't have the space and the awareness to even acknowledge that, to even acknowledge it, right? So that is the first step. And it is so important because if you don't have the space to make start becoming and making this awareness and cultivating this awareness, it's going to be so much more challenging to make these changes. So what you guys want to do is really start questioning your beliefs. And where did these beliefs come from? If you think you are a binge eater, okay, why? Where did it come from? Go deep. Go back. If you think you have no discipline, where did that come from? And start thinking about what do you tie your worth to? What do you identify with? Do you identify as a perfectionist? Where did that come from? Now, I want to bring it back to like flexible dieting and intuitive eating for a minute. Because a lot of people, like you see this on social media all the time. Oh, if you want to stop binge eating, just let yourself eat the cookies. And it's okay. Okay, there's something to that. And I'm going to explain what. But it's not as simple as just following your hunger cues because you're not in tune with them yet. Okay, you've been neglecting them, ignoring them. They're skewed. They're messed up. It's not going to lead you down the right path. So most of the clients who join Cut and Conquer who struggled with binge eating, I start them with a nutrition plan because what that does... And people might be like, oh my God, that's so strict. And like that's so restrictive. First off, it's not because we always give our clients so many options for every single meal, different options for carbs, different options for fat, different options for vegetables, different options for proteins. But it's structured in a way that gives you a bit of flexibility while giving you structure. And just that in itself starts to give you space in your brain because you're not wondering, oh, what can I eat today? There's all 100 million options in the world. It's no, I have these four options on my plan. I get to pick one. And it like starts to give you structure. Okay, It starts to give you a laid out plan. And when you your brain loves things laid out for you. So when you have a strategy laid out in front of you, it's okay. Things feel predictable. And you can start to give your brain that satisfaction and that safety with that predictability instead of the predictability that you're used to. Now, that's what we call starting to address the physiological. Okay, We address the physiological with proper food choices, with high nutrient foods that are rich in micronutrients that are going to give your body what it needs to start to physiologically reduce the cravings. Now, a lot of cravings are actually psychological, right? So that's when it comes to the mindset part, the habit formation, the subconscious belief work, that sort of thing. But of course, that's not enough. Like You have to complement it with the physiological so that you're nourishing your body properly. Because it is very possible to overeat in terms of food and calories, but scientifically, as per the term, be malnourished, meaning you're not giving your body the nutrients that it needs, which is what most people do. Most people do that. They feel like they don't eat that much. I'm not even eating very much, but what they're eating has a fuck ton of calories in it. And here's a fact. Oh, I don't remember where I got this fact. So you can fact check me, but it's it was like a study and it was, don't quote me, it was something like the average health conscious person underestimates their caloric intake by 500 calories per day. Okay. That's a lot. The average health conscious person. So the average non-health conscious person probably underestimates their caloric intake by, I would say, 1,000 to 1,500 calories a day. A day. (laughs) That's a lot. Okay? So anyways, bringing it back to nutrition, our binge eating clients, we typically start them with a nutrition plan. And binge eaters are very usually 
disciplined in a lot of aspects. So they're like, oh yeah, fuck yeah, I'm going to kill this nutrition plan. And they do it for about two, three, four weeks. And then they start to get those urges back. And it's, oh shit, oh shit, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? And a lot of them are perfectionists. And they message me, they go, oh my God, Christina, I failed. I don't want to submit my check-in because I failed and I feel like shit. And it's no, submit that check-in. Now is when the work begins. Now is the exciting stuff. So then we work on the next steps. Now, a lot of people, and I've, I have a love-hate relationship with this. So with triggers, trigger foods, I usually will tell my clients to remove the trigger foods from their house. Because if you're constantly getting triggered by a food, there's only so much willpower you can use if that food is a trigger and is a pattern and continuously throws you off. So get rid of it. But the thing is, you will have to bring those trigger foods back because if the only way you can navigate around them is by completely eradicating them, it's not realistic long-term. But you need to get rid of them short-term so that you can start to build self-integrity. So you can start to get that space in your mind and build the self-belief that we talked about at the very beginning of part one of these episodes, okay? Because you need self-belief. And if you keep triggering yourself with a certain food, like for me, it was Greek yogurt. It was cashews. It's protein bars sometimes. I also realized it's like queso chips. <laughs> I don't even like chips. That's the thing. But anyways, the the tortilla ones, fuck, they're good. <laughs> I don't even like chips, but yeah. So like we discussed, I can't remember if it was earlier in this episode or the previous, but in order to change a belief, you have to give yourself evidence that an alternative truth is true for you. So step one, we get you on a nutrition plan that is structured, but still flexible. So you don't feel like you're completely going all or nothing. It gives you a little bit of control, but it also gives you predictability. So we can remove that crazy scarcity challenge when it's, I got these macros, but I don't know what to do with them. And there are so many choices. So I'm just going to continue with my old habits of binge eating. Because that's what happens when you try to teach a binge eater flexible dieting from the get-go. Can a binge eater move to flexible dieting? Yeah, absolutely. And most of ours do once they've started to recover. But if you give a binge eater 2,000 calories a day and go, here you go. This is your carbs. This is your protein. This is your fat. This is your calories. This is how you do it. They're going to eat all 2,000 of those calories at the end of the day in one meal, and then they're going to starve themselves and they're going to do it again. And it's just not healthy. It's not sustainable. And it's not going to give you ideal results. So we have to align the physiological with the psychological and create that sense of safety and predictability around food. Then, then we have to create a sense of safety and predictability around your triggers. But we can't do that when the triggers are triggering you, right? So then we want to gradually and very slowly bring the trigger food back. But you don't want to do it when you are craving the chocolate. So let's say chocolate is your trigger. And you're like, chocolate always sets me off. I just love it so much. I have a huge sweet tooth. But you've been... So say you're on track. You've been killing it for four weeks. You're like, I haven't even had a bite of chocolate. It's okay, great. Now I want you to have a bite of chocolate. Have a bite of chocolate. And they're like, oh my God, no, it's going to trigger me. I'm like, no, it's not. It will trigger you if you wait until you let it trigger you. And then you fall off track and you go, oh my God, I fell off track. And I knew that I couldn't eat chocolate because every time I do, I eat 18 bars of chocolate and then I spiral and I lose everything and life sucks. Yeah, of course, if that's the pattern that you're reaffirming and recreating and driving into your brain every time. So now you're doing good. Now you give yourself evidence that you can do good while having a piece of chocolate. You don't wait until you're an emotional wreck and having a terrible day because like we talked about, you can do hard things when things are good. So we want to bring the chocolate in when things are good. Have a piece of it and throw the rest away or just buy a small individual piece of it. And then you can start to create that evidence for yourself that, hey, 
I ate this little bag of chips or hey, I ate a piece of chocolate and holy shit, I didn't binge. This is crazy, right? And then you start to have that truth and you start to get comfortable around that trigger food and you start to feel in control. Again, there is more to this than that. But simply put, that's what we want to do is we want to recreate your behavior patterns and rewire your thoughts around food. And in order to do that, we have to have space in your brain, space in your life, and a sense of predictability and safety. So you guys, that is it for today's episode. Hopefully between part one and today's part two, you guys got some really good value. I totally appreciate everyone listening. If this is of interest to you, you guys got value. You guys are like, oh my gosh, this spoke to me. We do have our Breaking the Binge course called Binge Eating Decoded. I'm going to explain a little bit about that course. So it does take about seven hours to complete the whole thing. For our clients who have done it, we've had amazing, amazing results. Again, it's more of a personal development course, I guess you would say. So you get assignments, different units. I'll explain kind of how they're broken down. I'm going to read a review from one of our clients. So she says, this is a great course. Highly recommend. Five stars. I've realized so much about myself that I was in denial about binge eating. I would hide it. I would pretend it didn't happen. And since completing this course, I have been honest about what I've ate, if I ate it, and tracked it. I didn't allow myself to feel that guilt. Also, another thing that really helped was the discussion on the scale. I've always also let the scale control me. And that's how I measured my success. I don't allow myself to hold on to that anymore. And then another review from a client who completed the course. She says, one of the standout features of this course is its in-depth exploration of the science behind binge eating. Christina, thank you, (laughs) does an exceptional job of breaking down the reasons why we engage in this behavior and the tools to help overcome it. Our explanations are clear, accessible, and the assignments really make you think outside the box, which helps us get to the root cause of understanding the why, which is a crucial step toward lasting change. Would 100% recommend and look forward to more courses like this from Cut and Conquer in the future. So we did have... How many clients? I think there was about 12 clients who enrolled in it. Again, really good reviews from everyone. So if this is something that you're interested in, if you're a client, you can enroll for free. You do just have to message me in the app so we can get you your login and signed up and everything. If you're not a client, but you're looking to be a client, well, submit a coaching application. There's a link in the, a link in the show notes at the bottom there. And if you're just looking to enroll in the course separately, again, it's not like a coaching program. It's not like our full course. It's not like the academy where you're getting check-ins or nutrition coaching or training, etc. It's a standalone course via myself. There's videos for every single unit. There's assignments with each unit. It starts with kind of diving into self-awareness. And kind of like my intention with that unit was to help you understand yourself better and be able to navigate through those kind of complex issues like trauma, your emotions, your self-talk, and all of those things that really feed into the binge eating cycle and help you understand how to recognize and address those things. Next, we talk about how to create your own personal growth zone. So that's what I'm talking about when I say you need to create space in your mind. Then we talk about nutrition and hunger cues and how you can actually lose weight while overcoming your binge eating habit. We dive into, which is my favorite part, the neuroscience of binge eating. Again, it is all simply explained. It's not like super scientific by any means. 
the dynamics of motivation, which is huge because a lot of ladies think they struggle with motivation and they don't. They do not. You do not. I guarantee you, if you think you struggle with motivation, it's not motivation, it's something else. Then we talk about how to dismantle mental blocks, how to identify limiting beliefs, and how to reconstruct your identity and shift your own self-concept. If you were in my free challenge we ran, was it two weeks ago now? We also, you know how we did the four fitness identities? We kind of have a similar one where it's like binging typologies, kind of like understanding your binging behaviors and what causes each style of binge eating. Then we talk a little bit about flexible dieting, the pros and the cons, and how to transition there from a more structured approach when you're starting your binge, your journey towards recovery with binging. We address trigger management, some really tactical tools. And then at the end of the course as well, because I am a trainer, I am a huge body recomposition fan. It wouldn't be, wouldn't be right of me to not throw some extra stuff in there. So we talk about like body composition, the difference between weight loss, fat loss, how to use the scale properly, how to eat in accordance to certain volumetrics to maximize satisfaction with your food, and then basically tips for continued success with nutrition. So if you've struggled with binge eating or you're just kind of looking to understand yourself better as it pertains to food, this course. I know it would be of value to you. So again, if you guys liked this one, take a screenshot, share it to Instagram, tag me at Nifina. If you're interested in the binge eating course, you can send me the code words breaking the binge or binge eating decoded. I'll know what you're talking about on Instagram at Nifina. I'll see you guys in the next episode. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Beyond the Body. If you're getting value from the podcast, please don't forget to follow, rate, and review. It really goes a long way. And if you're ready to take your mind and body to the next level and you want to work closely with me and my team, head over to my Instagram page at Nyfina and tap the link in my bio to fill in a coaching application to see if Cut and Conquer can help you transform your life. 